Is it coming on? <laughs> it was all set up, and it, things go off when they don't. Yeah. Is the computer on, Peter? There we go. It's coming. <clears throat> the Lorax by Dr. Seuss. At the far end of town, you know, where the grickle grass grows, and the wind smells slow and sour when it blows, and no birds ever sing except an old crow's, is the street of the lifted Lorax. What was the Lorax, and why was it lifted and taken somewhere? The old Wunstler still lives here. He knows, and sometimes he speaks. He'll tell you, perhaps, if you're willing to listen, now I'll tell you, he says with his teeth sounding gray, how the Lorax got lifted and taken away. It all started way back, such a long, long time back, way back in the days when the grass was still green and the pond was still wet and the clouds were still clean and the song of the Swami Swans rang out in space. One morning I came to this glorious place and I first saw the trees. The truffula trees, the bright-colored tufts of the truffula trees, mile after mile in the fresh morning breeze. And under the trees, I saw the brown barbalutes frisking about in their barbalute suits as they played in the shade and ate truffula fruits. From the ripulous pond came the comfortable sound of the humming fish humming while splashing around. But those trees... Those trees, those truffula trees, all my life I'd been searching for trees such as these. The touch of their tufts was much softer than silk, and they had the sweet smell of fresh butterfly milk. I felt a great leaping of joy in my heart. I knew just what I'd do. The old Wunstler, once he arrives at the great Truffula tree garden, sounds pretty much like we imagine Adam and Eve must have felt when they first opened their eyes and looked around in the Garden of Eden. The green that must have been there, the trees and the grasses and the bushes, the blue of the sky and the brilliance of the birds. And God saw all that was made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The world was made, and it was beautiful, and it worked. Today we're celebrating Earth Day. The official day was last Sunday, but we're celebrating today, and we'd like to celebrate our physical world and think a little about what our faith has to say about living on this Earth. I have to say that I love composting. We take the stuff from our kitchen that we don't want, like onion skins, that very smelly potato that got forgotten in the back of the potato drawer, coffee grounds, grapefruit peels, and we throw them in a pile out back or in our worm box in the basement, 
And first, the microbes start munching away. And then the worms step in and eat their fill. And pretty soon, all that garbage turns into dirt. And then we throw the new dirt onto the raspberry bushes. It rains, and the water dissolves what used to be old coffee grounds. And the raspberry plants suck them up, use the nutrients to grow new raspberries, and then we throw those, those raspberries into our morning cereal, and we enjoy those old coffee grounds all over again with a completely new flavor. How cool is that? God saw that it was good. We and the trees have a similar cycle. We breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. Trees breathe in the carbon dioxide that we exhale, take the molecules apart, and give us back oxygen to breathe all over again. Trees do other good things. A tree giving shade over a parking lot can lower the temperature of the asphalt by up to 30 degrees. Trees also remove nasty stuff from the air, like carbon monoxide, sulfur dioxide, and tons of dirt particles that are floating around. Some research has even shown that rates of domestic violence are lower in places with more trees. Apart from all the biochemical benefits, trees are just plain beautiful. As we go out to Orange Street, and look westward toward the house where the High family and Jonathan Stanley live, we often find ourselves pretty much repeating the refrain of the old Onceler, those trees, those trees, those magnificent trees arching over the street. And God saw that it was good. By the way, in the early 80s, our church was recognized by the Lancaster City Mayor for our tree planting around our meeting house. Back then was the start of the city tree planting of the city tree planting program that has placed many trees on our streets since then. East Chestnut Streeters donated money and the tree was marked with their name. People in our church are still giving money for trees, but now it's through the Creation Care Committee. Nine nearby neighbors in the school district of Lancaster planted over a dozen trees in the past year, with our Creation Care Committee giving funds to each to pay for most of the cost of planting them. But overall, we humans have a strange Sometimes we could even say a strained relationship with our environment. As Marlise and I have thought about this topic in the last few weeks, as we've read the biblical passages and various commentaries, we've almost always ended up concluding that we need a different way to think about our, our, our relationship, meaning humans' relationship with the natural world, the earth we walk on, and the air we breathe. So we would like to encourage us to look at ourselves as being a part of the world around us rather than apart from it or separate from it. After all, we were created, same as the plants and animals. We were part of what God saw when God looked at, re at creation and saw that it was good. The early Anabaptists had little to say about their relationship with the environment the New Testament either, for that matter. And we understand that. If you're a fish living in a fish tank and the water is always fresh and clear, there's no reason to think about the water. It's just there. But our tank is not so fresh and clear now. We don't have the luxury of thinking about ourselves as something apart from the medium that supports us. Those trees, those trees, those truffula trees, I knew just what I'd do. In no time at all, I had built a small shop. 
Then I chopped down a truffula tree with one chop, and with great skillful skill and with great speedy speed, I took the soft tuft and I knitted a thneed. The instant I'd finished, I heard a gazump. I looked. I saw something pop out of the stump of the tree I'd just chopped down. It was a sort of a man. Describe him? That's hard. I don't know if I can. He was, he was shortish and, and oldish and brownish and mossy. And he spoke with a voice that was sharpish and bossy. Mister, he said with a sawdusty sneeze, I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. And I'm asking you, sir, at the top of my lungs, he was very upset as he shouted and puffed, what's that thing you've made out of my truffula tuft? Look, Lorax, I said, there's no cause for alarm. I chopped just one tree. I'm doing no harm. I'm being quite useful. This thing is a thneed. A thneed's a fine something that all people need. It's a shirt. It's a sock. Well, it's a glove. It's a hat. But it has other uses, yes, far beyond that. You can use it for carpets, for pillows or sheets, or curtains, or, or covers for bicycle seats. The Lorax said, Sir! You are crazy with greed. There is no one on earth who would buy that fool's need. But the very next minute, I proved he was wrong. For just at that minute, a chap came along, and he thought that need that I had knitted was great. And he happily bought it for three ninety-eight. I laughed at the Lorax. You poor stupid guy. You never can tell what some people will buy. I repeat, cried the Lorax, I speak for the trees. I'm busy, I shouted. Shut up, if you please. And then, oh, baby, oh, how my business did grow. So I quickly invented my super axe hacker, which whacked off four truffula trees at one smacker. And that Lorax, he didn't show up anymore. But the next week, that Lorax knocked on my new office door. He snapped, I am the Lorax who speaks for the trees, which you seem to be chopping as fast as you please. But I'm also in charge of the brown barbaloots who played, played in the shade in their barbaloot suits and happily lived eating truffula fruits. Now... Thanks to your hacking my trees to the ground, there's not enough truffula fruit to go round. And my poor barbaloots are all getting the crummies because they have gas and no food in their tummies. They loved living here, but I can't let them stay. They'll have to find food. Good luck, boys and girls, he cried, and he sent them away. I, the onceler, felt sad as I watched them all go. But business is business, and business must grow regardless of crummies and tummies, you know.
It feels to us as though in our Western society, or in our case, a Christian society, the passage of scripture that has given us the primary underpinning for guiding how we relate to the natural world has been Genesis 1:28, And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. We have to say that the more we've read this verse in the past weeks, the more we have the awkward feeling of just wishing it weren't there. As one author puts it, it serves as intellectual lubrication for the exploitation of nature. The verse has been perceived as a mandate that we certainly have carried out. We've multiplied, we've done our best to subdue and have dominion, but maybe we haven't kept the overlay that appears both before and after this verse. God saw that the whole thing was good. Have we thought about what it means to dominate and subdue something that is already good? It seems to us that popular interpretation of what Christian faith is about includes a good deal of denying that God's creation was good. Instead of looking at creation as a whole with all parts interdependent, Western society has a long tradition of dissecting and categorizing everything, body and soul, animals and humans, natural and supernatural, white and black. We humans have been on a long quest for the most basic element that cannot be divided further. The ancient Greeks, for example, started by setting earth, wind, fire, and water as the four essential elements from which everything else was made. Millennia later, scientists discarded that and came up with the periodic table to put the essential elements into categories. Dividing and categorizing, though, makes it easy for us to think of some things as good and some things as bad. Dividing everything into neat categories is useful. It allows us to understand how things work so that we can make them work for us. For example, to be able to turn oil into gasoline into making cars go is pretty amazing but can only be done if we know what oil is and can figure out how to refine it into gasoline. Focusing on manipulating the world around us for our benefit often makes us ignore the unique and sometimes delicate balances of interaction that exist in the overall, like compost, for example. Our tradition, at least what I grew up with, puts a lot more emphasis on the good of the soul than the good of the whole. In other words, the body and soul together. In fact, we would say that our traditional worldview emphasizes that the soul is good and the body and the whole physical world is not all that important at best and just plain bad at worst. Some of us older types remember the days of James Watt, Ronald Reagan's Secretary of the Interior, who was supposed to be watching out for the good of the environment. But when asked about his emphasis on exploitation of, rather than care for, the United States natural resources said, I do not know how many future generations we can count on before the Lord returns. In other words, why take care of the earth when it's going to be replaced any day now by heaven? As far as the division between humans and the rest, we have divided things so that we, the humans, are the epicenter. The world is ours, and everything that is not us is, 
Well, it's just sort of out there for us to use like one great big planet-sized pantry there to serve our needs. Here we have a wonderful creation that on the seventh day God sat back and looked at like an artist who has just finished a painting. Or children who have spent hours building a pretend house and they tug on our hands and say, Come, look, look, look at what we've made. I think we all understand that feeling. And we all also probably understand what it feels like when we have made something and someone else makes it theirs and tears it apart for their own uses. Like the Onesler, we tend to look at the earth and all that is within it as ours, all ours to do with whatever we will. It's kind of arrogant of us, isn't it? Reminds me of that old Ringo Starr song. You're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine, mine, mine. Who did the song's author think he was, that he could own another person like that? We need the psalmist to remind us, the heavens, O oh God, are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all that is, that is in it, you have founded them. We humans, we are a part of that creation. We are not apart from it. Creation, anyone's creation, is to be honored, revered, and cared for because in that which has been made is a piece of its creator, God's creation even more so. I meant no harm. I most truly did not. But I had to grow bigger, so bigger I got. I biggered my factory. I biggered my wagons. I biggered the loads of the needs I shipped out. And I biggered my money, which everyone needs. Then again, he came back. I was fixing some pipes when that old nuisance Lorax came back with more gripes. I am the Lorax! He coughed and he whiffed, he sneezed and he snuffled and he snarled and he sniffed. Onceler! He cried with a cruffulous croak. Onceler! You're making such smogulous smoke! My poor swami swans, why they can't sing a note. No one can sing who has smog in their throats. And so, said the Lorax, <coughs> please pardon my cough. They cannot live here, so I'm sending them off. They may have to fly for a month or a year to escape from the smog you've smogged up around here. What's more, snapped the Lorax, his dander was up. Let me say a few words about gluppity glup. Your machinery chugs on day and night without stop making gluppity glup. And also schloppity schlop. And what do you do with this leftover goo? You're glumping the pond where the humming fish hummed. No more can they hum for their gills are all gummed. And then I got mad. I got terribly mad. I yelled at the Lorax. Now listen here, Dad. All you do is yap, yap, and say bad, 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 bad. Well, I have my rights. And I'm telling you, I intend to go on doing just what I do. And for your information, you Lorax, I'm figuring on biggering and biggering and biggering and biggering, turning more truffula trees into the into needs which everyone, everyone, everyone needs.
And at that very moment, we heard a loud whack. From outside in the fields came a sickening smack of an axe on a tree. And then we heard the tree fall, the very last truffula tree of them all. No more trees, no more needs, no more work to be done. Now, all that was left neath the bad-smelling sky was my big empty factory, the Lorax, and I. The Lorax said nothing, just gave me a glance, just gave me a very sad, sad backward glance as he lifted himself by the seat of his pants. And I'll never forget the grim look on his face when he heisted himself and took leave of this place through a hole in the smog without leaving a trace. And all that the Lorax left here in this mess was a small pile of rocks with the one word, unless. Whatever that meant, well, I just couldn't guess. That was long, long ago. But each day since that day I've sat here and worried and worried away through the years. While my buildings have fallen apart, I've worried about it with all of my heart. But now, says the Onceler, now that you're here, the word of the Lorax suddenly seems perfectly clear. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. So, catch, calls the Onceler. He lets something fall. It's a truffula seed. It's the last one of all. You're in charge of the last of the truffula seeds. And truffula seeds are what everyone needs. Plant a new truffula. Treat it with care. Give it clean water and feed it fresh air. Grow a forest. Protect it from axes that hack. And then the Lorax and all of his friends, maybe they'll come back. So, here we are, standing with a freshly caught truffula seed in our surprised little palm, wondering what we do now. This points us in the same direction as the statement of faith from a Mennonite perspective. And I quote, We believe God intends human work to be a way of caring for and ordering rather than exploiting the world which has been created. Looking at ourselves as a part of creation rather than apart from it means that we recognize and accept our role in maintaining the world like God would want it to be taken care of and recognizing that all creation, the animals, the trees, the rocks, the dirt, our friends, and even our enemies all have a legitimate place in the world that God made. Now here comes the fun part. Looking at ourselves as caretakers rather than users of creation is a dramatically different way of seeing the world, and it has practical implications. Here are some ideas that we've thought of, and we're sure you can think of many more. First of all, work on our ecological literacy. That means that when Jay Parrish talks about rocks with the reverence that only Jay has for rocks, we listen and learn, because he can tell us about a part of creation that we tend to take for granted. I mean, granted, that we take for granted. Or 
It means going out in our backyard like Marlisa and I did last summer to count the praying mantises just because they're fun to see and because we know that they make their dinner out of the aphids that we do not want. Watch birds. Identify trees. Get a wildflower book and learn their names. At the very least, look up and enjoy the scenery. Appreciate the interdependent cycles of life. If we see ourselves as being a part of creation, we will want to tread as lightly as on this earth as we can so that everything can be together. That means turning off the lights all the time when we're not using them. I get so tired of being told time after time, hey, Daryl, you left the light on in that room you just walked out of. I know it's better to turn the light off every time I leave a room rather than think I'm coming right back because sometimes I don't. By the way, um, Penn, could you go out in the foyer and see if the lights are on out there? Um, with all just, those... Just kidding. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, no. I'm not kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> with all those windows, there really is no reason to keep that light lit on Sunday morning. Well, he's really checking it out. Yeah. <laughs> on or off? Off. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it means getting out that silly-looking little cart and pulling it to the market when we need groceries. Hey, come on. A gallon of milk is heavy, especially in those big glass bottles, and you're not the one carrying them on your back. It means being aware of how we do use the world's resources. You know how the the real-time gas mileage gauges that new car, newer cars have can change the way we drive? Well, PPL has a website that shows your daily electric use. If we look at it often enough, we can change our home electric usage. Participating in our church's voluntary gas tax also keeps us aware of how much gasoline we're using, helps us keep our gas use down, and it gives the Creation Care Committee money to do what it's doing like putting in that new bike rack that's sitting out, out back here. Um, we hope that a cool new place to park our bikes will give all of us the impetus to ride them to church because we really wouldn't want to see that bike rack out, sitting out there empty. Well, and did you know that there's a pretty good bus system in Lancaster County? The next time you decide to move, you might want to make proximity to a bus stop a criteria for choosing your new address. And the next time you need to go somewhere that's maybe a mile or two away, look down at your own two feet. Think dog and take them for a walk. By the way, in their role as members of the Creation Care Committee, Naomi Martin and Margaret High are setting up a lending list for our church so that we can borrow things already bought rather than buy new things. We hope all of us soon become both lenders and borrowers. Look for more information on that soon. Being aware of how we use resources also means being aware of things like the fact that the city of Lancaster dumps more than a billion gallons of untreated, and that means raw sewage and wastewater, into the Conestoga River every year because our sewer system can't handle both the sewage and the rainwater when it rains more than a quarter inch or so. Makes you just want to hold it on the next rainy day, doesn't it? 
Wastewater systems like that contribute to the D that the Chesapeake Bay got on its annual health report card. Seeing ourselves as part of creation means supporting the city's effort to do something about this. The city has a goal of having a 40% tree cover in 25 years to better absorb some of the rainwater and also clean and filter our air. That means planting 250 new trees a year for the next 25 years. If higher taxes are what it takes to lower the amount of stuff we pour into the Chesapeake Bay, then pay we will and with a smile. Another idea, consider recreation unplugged. Table games, anyone? Bocce ball in the park? And we haven't even mentioned food yet. The way much of our food is produced today is example number one of we humans thinking the, exert, the, thinking the earth exists to meet our ever-growing idea of needs. A lot of us have gardens, something that the two of us have found gives us so much joy. It's amazing how much food a small plot of land can give. So plant some seeds and eat some homegrown tomatoes. Remember that petunias and peppers can happily grow side by side in the flower bed. Lettuce makes a very attractive ground cover in the spring, and you can eat it. Caring for creation in today's complex world does call for humility. In an old Kathy cartoon, a grocery store cashier once asked Kathy if she wanted her groceries in paper or plastic. Kathy answered, paper, of course. It decomposes in a, oh, paper, which decomposes in a week, or plastic, which decomposes in 400 years. Of course I want paper. To which the clerk responded, fine. I will pack your plastic sandwich bags, your freezer bags, your trash bags, your household cleaner bottles, your detergent bottles, and your soft drink bottles in a nice biodegradable pa paper bag. As Kathy blushes, the clerk mutters that it takes about 15 seconds for self-righteousness to decompose. <laughs> We know sometimes doing the small things that we can do seems so very small as to be nearly pointless. Several years ago, I expressed a sentiment like this to Maribel Crable. Being the wise woman that she was, she quoted a proverb, if you think that you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping in a closed room with a mosquito. So here we stand with our fingers wrapped around a seed, a seed that is part of God's creation, just like we are. And in a little bit, we will pray, as we do every Sunday to finish our community lifetime, that God's will be done on earth. If we pray that prayer from a perspective that we are a part of creation, we think it implies a commitment to take care of all the world around us, our souls and our bodies, and the earth below, and the heavens above, and all that is within them. <laughs> 